Lord, we thank you and praise you, and Lord, I pray that we would have that grateful heart, ever mindful, never taking for granted the incredible act of love, the, the grace and mercy that's been poured out upon us. Lord, it's so easy for us to take for granted over time just the, the measure of love, the measure of grace, to begin to take it for granted, to begin to think that we have something to do with it. But Lord, we just lay our lives once again at your feet. We ask, Lord, for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that your Spirit now would speak to every one of us. Lord, we thank you for this Passion Week, your Passion for us, your love for us. Lord, may we have a passion for you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you. So this evening, up until about 4 o'clock this afternoon, I was fully planning on teaching the Genesis message, but I'm trying to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and since we're in the middle of Passion Week, we're going to take a look at what was happening in the middle of Passion Week in the life of our Savior. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. You know, sometimes we can allow this week go by because we've been through so many of them, and over time we can just, it goes by and it goes by and it goes by and it grows common. And my prayer is that we would learn from tonight's text that, you know, God speaks to us. He has a design and a plan for our lives, and He so wants to minister to every heart that is here. To bring some context just briefly, John is the gospel that emphasizes the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. Seven times you have seven I am statements in John, which reveal His character and His heart and relationship toward the world. He's called the I am, the great I am. That's his claim to deity. Go back to the burning bush. I am that I am. When Moses said, who shall I say sent me? I am that I am. Ego a me. Well, in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. The reason he's the bread of life is he alone can feed us spiritually. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world because he's the one who illuminates truth into the, to those who are in darkness. In John 10, he says, I am the door of the sheep because he's the only path to protection and to green pastures. In John chapter 10, he also says, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Only he has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? Guys, on Sunday, you know what, I almost don't like to call it Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. We serve a risen and a living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? And in John 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead after he had been dead for four days. If you remember that he came in his perfect time and they were worried that he had waited too long. But Jesus said in verse 4 of John 11, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. When he got there, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came hopping out in his grave clothes. Can you imagine what that scene was like? You know what? If he had just said, come forth, every dead person who had ever died would have got up. Amen? Because that's our God. He has the power over sin and death. Amen? That's the God we serve. Many of the Jews believed, but the chief priests and the Pharisees sought to kill Jesus. At the end of verse chapter 11, he says, It is expedient that one man should die for the people, and not that a whole nation should perish. And then it says, From that day forward, they plotted to put him to death. So Jesus raised a dead man, and how did they respond? They wanted to kill him. They put out a death warrant on our Savior. So chapter 12, we're just days away from the cross. 
As we go through 12, it's going to be the, right before, uh, the Friday before, about nine days before, and it's going to move through Sunday and into Monday and Tuesday as we're headed toward Good Friday. I titled the message, if you're taking notes, Passion. Passion, that's the title of the message. And the first half, we're going to see man's reaction to Jesus. When people are confronted with who Jesus is, they're going to respond in a certain way. First, we're going to see a heart of worship. Mary's going to respond to Jesus with a heart of worship. Second, we're going to see a heart of greed, as Judas sees Jesus only as a way to profit. There are those out there today, when confronted with Jesus Christ, see him only as a way for them to profit financially. Third, we're going to see, in response to Jesus, a heart of envy, as the chief priests plot to kill Jesus, as they see him as a threat to their following. Fourth, we're going to see a heart that seeks only physical deliverance. The crowd's going to cry out, Hosanna, save now we pray you. But they're saying, save us from the Romans. When they really what they needed was to be saved from their sins. Amen? So many today come to Jesus saying, save me from my circumstances. Save me from this trial. Deliver me out of what I'm going through. When what we really need to be crying out for is redemption. And praise God, he answers that prayer. Fifth, we're going to see a heart for truth as the Greeks come seeking Jesus. So we see man's reaction to Jesus, and then we're going to see Jesus' response to man. Man has to respond to the Lord, but how does he respond to us? First of all, with the heart of a servant. Jesus is going to equate death with fruitfulness. Through death will come fruit. And the same is true for us. It's when we die to ourselves that our life can be fruitful. And then finally, a heart of sacrifice as he predicts his own death upon the cross. So let's begin by looking at a message I entitled Passion. We're in the middle of Passion Week. We ought to be ever mindful of our Savior and all that he went through. And let's begin by looking at man's reactions to Jesus. Begin in verse 1 there, looking at a heart of worship. It says, then, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Lazarus means God has helped. And he had been dead. Now that's a description for every one of us in here that's been saved. Amen? We were once dead, and now we're alive in Christ. Lazarus was a walking testimony. How in the world do you go to someone's funeral, and then you see them later? That's a testimony, amen? If grandma, who died 12 years ago, knocks on your door, I think that's, you know, you're going to call the news trucks, amen? Here's the reality, that when we have been born again, when we were once dead and now we're alive in Christ, we ought to be walking testimonies. People ought to say, I knew you before. I knew you when you were dead, and now you're alive in Him. And boy, there's a difference. And He gets all the glory, amen? So this is six days before Passover, Passover would be on Thursday. So six days before, this is the Friday before. Nine days before the resurrection. Seven days before the crucifixion. We're leading into Passion Week. Passover again, as we know, is the deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. When they took the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross, and when they applied the blood of the lamb, it wasn't good enough to slay the lamb. It wasn't good enough to have the blood of the lamb. It had to be applied. It's not good enough to know that Jesus is the lamb. You must be born again. You must repent of your sin. The blood must be applied to your life. And then and only then do we escape out of the bondage, Egypt being a type of the world. Well, Passover is the constant reminder of that. What's interesting, I have a coworker. Most of you know I work a full-time job. I have a coworker who's Jewish. He was leaving yesterday to go 
to celebrate Passover with his family. And it was great because I got to talk to him about it. Oh, you mean the afikoman? He goes, how do you know about that? I said, you know what afikoman means? He said, no. I said, it means I came. That's what it means. I came. Who came? Jesus, amen? I said, don't you at one point wrap it up in a cloth and have three pieces of matzah and you pull the centerpiece out and you break it in half and you wrap it and hide it? He's like, yeah, how did you know that? I said, well, because it's, it's biblical. It's, it's, old, it's in the Old Testament. We did that. I said, but isn't it interesting? They take three bre- pieces of bread made out of the same substance. They pull the middle one out. They break it in half. They wrap it up and they hide it. And when the pe- kids find it, everyone rejoices. He's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three made of one substance, middle one pulled out, broken in half, wrapped in cloth, but when he's risen, we all rejoice, amen? Don't you love the Bible? Don't you love the old, I just love it. And he was just like, well, I don't think that's what it means. Well, okay, it's okay. We still love you anyway. But, you know, he he always says, Jewish Christian, let's like kosher, you know, I don't know what. And I said, bro, you know, my Savior's a Jew. The guys who wrote the Bible, Jews, amen? Amen. Praise God. So here it is, this letter's been written, Passover's coming, and they're getting ready to celebrate this deliverance, not realizing that Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover. Amen? Why don't we have Passover anymore? Because we've passed over. Amen? Because Jesus Christ has died on the cross, he's risen from the dead, and we no longer look back to our deliverance at Passover, we look back to the cross and we look forward to the day we will enter into heaven. So he comes into the place, you're getting, it's six days from Passover. He comes into the home of one who's been risen from the dead. You think there'd be incredible rejoicing? And no doubt there was. And it says, they made him a supper. Have you ever thought about making food for Jesus? I, I'm not a cook. I'd hire all kinds of people. I don't know about you. I would make sure it wasn't burnt and it was the best I had. Amen. So they're making supper for the Lord. Jesus comes into their house. It says, and Martha served, but Lazarus is one of those who sat at the table with him. Now, we see here one who's been risen from the dead sitting at the table with the Lord. Guys, when we've been risen, not only have we escaped death, not only are we new creations in Christ, but we can now sit and have intimate fellowship with him. Amen? It goes beyond just redemption. Praise God for redemption. It goes beyond justification, but now it's being sanctified, molded into his image, walking in intimate fellowship with him. Guys, we ought to be excited. Amen? We serve a risen and living Savior, a great and an awesome God. You know, he healed a leper. That's a picture of sin, Simon. Then he heals a dead man. That's a picture of sin's consequences. He's triumphed over sin and death. Now, Three people are here. We've got Martha, we're going to see in the next verse. We've got Mary, and we've got Lazarus. Mary, Martha had a heart to serve others. Each of these are a picture of the Christian life. Martha, heart of a servant. Lazarus, a testimony to the power of God. And Mary, one who had a true heart for worship. This should be every Christian. Heart of a servant, someone who is a witness, and someone who has a heart to worship. Now watch what happens in verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Mary anoints Jesus' feet. And this is one of the most incredible acts of worship in the Bible. Mary's mentioned three times, this Mary, three times in Scripture. And each time, 
So far, she's been mentioned three times. Each time she's at his feet. Well, that's a good place to be. Amen? She's at his feet when he teaches the word. She was at his feet after the death of Lazarus. And now she's at his feet again at a celebration feast. And what does she do? Now, you could just read that and say she poured out some oil upon him. But you got to understand, this was a very costly oil. Most would say that the value of this oil was about one year's wages. She took her most valued possession. An alabaster flask was a box uh, that was made of a fine marble, and it was quarried in Egypt, and they would carve it into a delicate container that would hold strong and costly perfumes. It was usually held for your wedding. It was a dowry. So here you have this very delicate box, no doubt set in a place uh, to be protected and waiting for that day when you will be knit to your groom, when you will be married. Well, guess what? Jesus is the groom. Amen? And we are his bride. And Mary takes her most valued possession and she pours it out upon her Savior. You know what? She had heard his words. I believe Unlike her, the apostles, she had an idea that, of what was coming. And before Mary could pour out the oil of worship upon Jesus, uh, this oil was very fragrant. Many people believe that it was so fragrant that it was probably still some you know, residue of it when he went to the cross. It's that strong. And so when he was being beaten, that fragrance was being released again. And so she pours out this oil upon him but before she could pour it out upon him the box had to be what broken and guys before we truly become a sweet smelling aroma in the presence of god and and to those around us we too must first be broken amen it's when we are broken that his fragrance pours out of us she anoints his feet when you combine it with the other gospels we also know she anointed both his head and his feet she wiped his feet with her hair. 1 Corinthians 1.15 says, If a woman has long hair, it is the glory to her, for her hair is given to her as a covering. So she humbles herself, and she lays her glory at his feet. She takes her most treasured possession. She breaks it before him. And then it says the house was filled with the fragrance. Mary's act of love, devotion, and worship brought a fragrance, a sweet-smelling fragrance to the whole house. You know, there's no house so pleasant an aroma as a house where Jesus Christ is given his rightful place. Amen? Have you ever walked into a home of people who really love God and you walk in the door and there's just a, a, a peace there? Amen? There's just a sense there. You walk in because why? God has been given, the Lord has been given his rightful place. Our worship, even now, is a sweet aroma in His presence. So what is Mary's passion for Jesus? She's confronted with the Lord. She has a passion. Her response, her heart is a heart of worship. She thought nothing of herself. She humbled herself. She gave her most valued possession to the Lord. Lord, help us to be people who don't hold back. Let's not give Him the rest. Let's give Him the best. Amen? So secondly, we see not only a heart of worship, but here's the contrast. A heart of greed. A heart of greed. Judas, driven by greed, watch what he does. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This is the first recorded word of Judas in the Bible, and what is it? Why? That's a good 
exhortation for all of us. Amen? When we go through trials, our word to God should not be why, but what? Not why is this happening, but Lord, what do you want to teach me? Amen? Judas, the scoffer, why? Questioning, doubting, wondering why. Well, we find out, just in case we were wondering what his real motivation was, verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Judas, most tragic of all Bible figures next to Satan, followed Jesus for three years. He witnessed his miracles, he heard his teaching, he was touched by his kindness, but was still rotten to the core, seeking not to worship the Lord from a sacrificial heart, but his own pleasure through thievery and deception. He was a thief. He took from God. Guys, here's the thing. God has given us the parable of the talent. He's given us ability. He's given us talents. Truthfully, we're acting like thieves if we bury them, if we don't use them for his glory. All we have is his. He gave us everything at the cross. We need to give give our everything to him every single day. Amen? But here's Judas, who though he walked with him, though he heard him teach, though he saw the miracles, his own mo- only motivation really for hanging out with the Lord was what would it profit him? You know, there are Christians like that today. They come to the Lord when things are tough because they hope that somehow by showing up at church, maybe God will give them some stuff. Or they pray in a certain way like he's a holy Santa Claus up in the sky. And you know, if I just ask him questions, he'll give me what I want. Guys, We don't pray to change God's mind. We pray that it'll change our heart. Amen? We pray that we be conformed to His image. That we would walk in the center of His will. Judas is around Jesus and he thinks, man, being around a miracle worker, you can end up with some stuff. Being around a guy who draws a crowd, I can end up with some money. Mary worshiped the Lord from her heart and Judas sought his own physical pleasure and comfort above even his relationship with Jesus. Verse 7 and 8. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have with you always. Now some people have struggled with this verse. The Lord is not downplaying ministry to the poor. Read Matthew 25. He doesn't downplay ministry to the poor. Are we to minister to the poor? What's the answer? And by the way, poor is not a synonym for lazy. Amen? Minister to the poor, not the lazy... Man who does not work shall not eat. Someone who's afraid to be faithful and obedient, guess what? Sin has consequences. But those who are poor, we are to minister to them. But here's what he is saying. He's revealing that there is a higher priority than any other earthly ministry. More important than any other earthly ministry in existence. Here's what it is. Worshiping him. Amen? He created us, why? To what? Worship him. We are being everything he's called us to be at its highest form when we are worshiping him. That's what he created us for. Guys, you want to know what heaven's going to be like? Start worshiping. Amen? When we get to heaven, we're not going to have any Bible studies. Did you know that? We we won't need the word because the word, Jesus Christ, will be there. Amen? We will not be sharing our faith. Everyone's already saved. Amen? Right? But we will, we won't pray either. We will be worshiping. Going to get a taste of heaven? Start worshiping. Mary would not always have the opportunity to worship Jesus this way. 
May we never be so busy doing works of ministry for the Lord that we missed out on the intimacy of ministering to the Lord. Amen? Guys, we do ministry for the Lord, but the ability to minister for the Lord this way only comes from ministering to the Lord this way. If you're not spending time in the Word, and you're not spending time in prayer, and you don't have you know, a true, intimate, devotional time with the Lord, don't be surprised when it's time to do ministry and you just don't feel like it. You know why you won't? Because you're doing it in your own strength. You're going to grow weary. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a half to, not a get to. But guys, when we're spending time in God's presence, we can't help to, after ministering to Him to minister for Him. Amen? Maybe a natural outpouring. So we see a heart of worship, then we see a heart of greed. Coming to the Lord to surrender one's life to Him, and then coming to the Lord only to see what we can get from Him. Thirdly, a heart of envy. The chief priests are going to plot to kill Jesus. Look at verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Again, you got a dead guy walking around. I'm thinking everyone getting saved. Amen? How do you explain that away? Dude, I went to your funeral, now you're here. Because of Lazarus, many of the Jews believed. All of them should have. But this just shows the hardness of the heart of man. Amen? Have you met people who said, well, if God would do a miracle, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Because if you don't believe the word, it wouldn't matter if he did a thousand miracles, you still wouldn't believe. Because you remember those who followed Jesus seeking only after a sign, he would send them away. Why? Because it's not signs that bring salvation, it's God's word. Amen? Is he a God still doing signs and wonders today? Yes, he is. But it's not the signs and wonders that save people, it's the word of God that does. And the Holy Spirit bringing conviction and opening our eyes to the truth. Those who draw others to the Lord are enemies of Satan and a lost world, and they're going to come under attack and persecution. Lazarus is a walking testimony. But look what it says in verse 10. you got a guy walking around that it's hard to overcome his testimony, so what do they want to do? But the chief priest, verse 10, plotted to put Lazarus to death also. You know, we can't have a guy risen from the dead walking around. Let's kill him. Why? Because how do you overcome? I was at his funeral and now he's alive. Rather than simply believe irrefutable evidence, they try to destroy it. Sounds like the world we live in today. Amen? Why do they want the Bible out of school? Why do they want the Bible out of everything? Why are people convicted when you have a manger scene on a public park? People getting whipped up. You got a cross on your property. Get that down. Why? Because the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. It offends people. It brings conviction to the fact that they're sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? And so they want to bring down the cross as if their sin will go away. Bring, take down the mangers as if the conviction will go away. Remove the Bible as if the Word of God will go away. The Word of God will endure forever. Amen? So tragic to see our country, of all countries in human history maybe, have had the greatest exposure to the gospel, and yet we are so far away. But when that happens, you know what? While we could point fingers at others, it brings conviction to my own heart that I need to be even more faithful 
to stand up and boldly proclaim the truth every time I'm given an opportunity. Amen? Because we often think we need to send missionaries to third world countries, and we do. But you know what? This is a mission field right here. And the people here need Jesus too. Amen? Why do they want to get rid of Lazarus? Look at verse 11. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Here's the problem. They're going to lose their crowd. You know, we got a big crowd following us. And if people see a dead guy walking around, they're going to start asking questions. And if they start asking questions, they might find out Jesus did it. And they're going to stop following us. They're going to start following Jesus. And that's going to, you know, hurt our budget. It's going to kill the building fund. We're not going to be able to do the activities and we won't be able to steal as much for ourselves anymore. You know what? They wanted to be on the throne receiving the praise of men. And guys, when we recognize who Jesus is, we recognize that we should never be praised for anything ever. Amen? Ever. He gets all the glory, all the praise, all the honor because he does it all and without him we can do how much? Nothing. So here we have reactions to Jesus. We got a heart of worship coming from Mary. Her passion's for the Lord, so she has a heart of worship. Judas's passion is for money, so he has a heart of greed. And the chief priest's passion was for position, so it drove them to envy. You know, our actions show kind of where our heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? If your treasure is money, you're going to be greedy. If your treasure is position, you're going to be envious of anyone else who has it. But if the Lord is your treasure, you're going to be one who has a heart to worship. I'm going to exhort you. I know that's going to shock you, but I'm going to exhort you for a second. Here's the thing. If you don't worship, examine your heart. Amen? We ought to really ought to be like bringing the ceiling down in here. Amen? Not, well, yeah, I praise the Lord. I praise God. Hey, wait a minute. You go to a football game and you go crazy. Someone hits a little ball over a fence and you scream at the top of your lungs. We come in here to worship the creator of the universe and we mumble. What's up with that? Amen? If we're going to be fanatics, let's be a fanatic for Jesus Christ. Amen? So, heart of worship, heart of greed, heart of envy. Now we're going to see a heart that seeks only physical deliverance. And this is the crowd. The crowd is there. They're liking what they hear about Jesus at first. It's Sunday now. We move from Friday to Sunday, Palm Sunday. He's coming in. And as he comes in, they're going to respond in one way. But only five days later, those cries of Hosanna are going to be changed to crucify him. Look at verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Amen, amen, and amen. So far, so good. Amen? Guys, it's not enough, though, to have a momentary confession. There must be a lifetime transformation. Amen? It's one thing to call out his name for a moment when you think he's going to bring you what you want. But when you find out who he truly is, have you surrendered your life to him? This crowd... Four days before the beginning of Passover, every family would select a lamb and had it inspected by, had it inspected by a priest. Jerusalem was overflowing with people. Thousands of lambs were there for Passover and enter in the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Amen? They're out there inspecting lambs. 
They're out there gathering up a lamb, and here comes the true lamb. It's interesting. We don't have time to really go into it, but the day they entered in was the 10th of Nisan, which is April 6, 32 A.D. The reason that's significant, it fulfills a prophecy. In Daniel chapter 9, it says, From the going forth of the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be 69 sevens, or 483 years. On March 14, 445 B.C., King Artaxerxes gave the command to rebuild Jerusalem. 483 years later, and in those days it was 360 days a year, 173,880 days later, comes to April 6, 32 A.D., and Jesus came marching into Jerusalem. Tell me not God's not in control. Amen? To the day. You know what? They could have known the day had they just simply read the word. And the same is true for us. We can't know the day or the hour, but we can know when it's rapture season. Amen? And we can know that his redemption draws near. We can know that the fig tree is blooming. And we need to be living every day in light of the fact that he's coming soon. Now, they took the branches of palm trees. Now, what's interesting, almost 200 years earlier, Judas Maccabees was in a a nine-year battle to overthrow the Syrians and wicked Antichus Epiphanes put a pig on the altar and make pigs drink its blood. Well, the people celebrated his defeat by pulling down palm branches and waving them. They then put palm branches on the back of their coins from that day forward to symbolize their deliverance from political oppression and military brutality. So now, they're waving palm branches because they want to be delivered from the oppression of the Romans, not be delivered from their sin. So they're saying, save now we pray you from the Romans. You might be saying, save now we pray you from my physical ailment. Save now we pray you from my financial struggle. Save now we pray you from this addiction or whatever I'm struggling with. And God can help you with those things. But here's the thing, the most important thing that we must be delivered from is our sin. We are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We're just crying out, save now, pray me from my circumstances. Lord, save me for my sin. Make me a new creation in Christ. They wanted him to mobilize politically. They didn't want to die to self. They were willing to shout at a parade, but not to kneel at a cross. Guys, it's more than shouting at a parade. It's kneeling at a cross. You know, it's interesting in Luke's gospel, when they were shouting, he was weeping. He was weeping over Jerusalem. Our our Lord I don't have theological backing for this, but uh, you know, if he looks upon this earth, how can he not help but weep? To see the state that we're in, the way that we reject him. When Jesus didn't fulfill their political desires, Hosanna quickly became crucify him. Oh, you won't overthrow Rome? Oh, we were looking for a military leader. Oh, you won't deliver me from my financial struggles? Well, I'm not really interested. You won't give me the car I want, the wife I want, the stuff I want? Oh, that's all I wanted you for. Oh, you won't do that for me? I'll go another way. Guys, he's not going to fulfill the lesser need until the greater one's been fulfilled. Amen? Then it says in verse 14, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, said on it, As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Here's a fulfillment of more Old Testament prophecy. Zechariah 9 tells us, it's quoted there, Fear not, daughter of Zion, that's Israel. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It's interesting that a donkey is an animal of peace. 
And Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to restore peace between sinful man and holy God. But when he comes back, it won't be on a donkey this time. Amen? He's going to be riding a horse, which is an animal of war. So here's the fulfillment of Scripture. It's Jesus Christ yet again. He's the answer. He's the one. Verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things were written about him, that they had done these things to him. It wasn't until after his crucifixion that they understood the significance of this event. Could they have known? Yes. How? Read the Bible. Can you and I understand the times? Yes. Read the Bible. Amen? We should not be shocked by what's going on around us. We may come out of this economic struggle, struggle we may not if we don't that just means christ is coming back amen wheelbarrow full of money for a loaf of bread amen good news is we'll be in heaven praise god for that if he wants to bring us out of this praise the lord if he doesn't praise the lord he's god he's faithful we trust him you know it's interesting they missed him and they missed him because He was not truly being glorified in their lives. When you glorify Christ in your life, you'll have more and more understanding of the truth. Amen? They saw what he did, they heard what he said, but it didn't make sense until Jesus was glorified. When Jesus is glorified in your life, you'll understand better. Verse 17. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. Again, many came seeking a sign. They came out of curiosity, not out of true faith in Jesus. Those who had seen Lazarus resurrected went around telling everyone. Verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, This man raises people from the dead. It's time for us to repent. I'm just making sure you're reading your Bibles, okay? That's not what they said. They said, You see that we are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Herein lies their problem with Jesus. He's taking our people away. I had a big following, then Jesus came. I would hope that nobody is following any of us, and they're all following Jesus. Amen? If you've got a following, you need to get out of the way. Amen? Don't follow us, follow him. Though outwardly appeared the crowd was going after Jesus, their true colors would soon be shown when when Jesus didn't give them what they wanted. Again, Hosanna became crucify him. They chose to free Barabbas over Jesus. They would mock Jesus on the cross, and many gave an outward appearance of following Christ, but when the results were not physically appealing, they fled. So passion, Mary's passion for Jesus, Drove her to worship. Judas's passion for money drove him to be greedy. The chief priest's passion for position drove him to envy. And the Passover's crowd, Passover's passion was for political revolt or physical blessing. And it drove them to see him purely through physical eyes. They saw one who they thought would be a conquering man, a conquering hero. And they missed out on the one who was the Messiah. Guys, I pray we want more than someone who will minister to us physically, but one who will transform us spiritually. Next, a heart for truth. The Greeks come seeking Jesus. Look at verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up 
to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was at Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now that's good. Amen? We want to see Jesus. How many want to see Jesus tonight? Amen? Why do we open up the word that we might see him, that we might know him, that we might draw into intimate fellowship with him? Amen? This is not studying a book. This is the living, breathing word of God that reveals to us his heart, his truth, and his person. Amen? So when we read the Bible, we get to know him better. It's interesting that at his birth, Gentiles came from the east, and now at his death, Gentiles come from the west, come seeking one thing. We want to see Jesus. That's good, isn't it? Amen? And at the same time, those Jews who were there would reject him. People coming from afar off to find him, but those who are right there missing him. Lord, help us not to be those who are surrounded by the truth our entire lives, and we miss him. It's not good enough for your parents to believe, for friends to believe, for you to attend church with those who believe. The question is, do you believe? And not just believe in him, but have you surrendered your life to him? Amen? That's where we need to be. And this should be a reminder this week of how much he loves us. It's incredible. Beyond what we can even understand. They'd heard about the miracles of Jesus. They came seeking him. Notice again, they didn't come seeking a sign. We want to see a sign. They said, we want to see Jesus. Are you coming to seek a sign or are you coming to seek the Savior? No no one who ever comes truly seeking Jesus will ever be turned away. God's not hiding. Amen? You know, even that sticker, I found it. I didn't know he was hiding. Amen? He found us. Amen? He drew us. He's not hiding. Blinders were removed from our eyes. Verse 22. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. You know, Andrew, I love this guy. I named one of my sons Mark Andrew, and one of the reasons is, whenever you see Andrew in Scripture, he's always bringing people to Jesus. Andrew's always, come and see. Let me, I met a man. Come and see. Let me go. What a great attribute. Amen? Maybe you don't feel like the greatest theologian in the world, or maybe you don't feel like someone who can you know, articulate your faith super well, and you sh- we all should grow in that. But you know what? We can all be Andrew. We can all bring him to Jesus, amen? We can all bring him to a place where the word is taught. We can all bring him to a place where they're going to hear the truth. The Greeks' passion was truth, and it drove them to seek Jesus. Now, we've seen the response of man, heart of worship, heart of envy, heart of greed, a heart seeking power and position, and then a heart seeking truth. Now look at our Savior's response in the final verses. First of all, he has the heart of a servant. He's going to equate death with fruitfulness. We think of death in the world as the end. It's the worst. But you know what? For Christians, it's the best. Amen? Doesn't get any better. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You're not going to sleep. You're not going to wait. You're going to close your eyes on earth and open them up in glory. Amen? You've heard me say it before. For Christians, it's not death. It's just moving day to a way better neighborhood. Amen? And it doesn't get any better. And we ought to be... And again, when people die, we grieve, but we do not grieve as those without hope. Death has no sting for the believer. Christians die well. And the Lord's going to equate death to a different way than the people had. Verse 23, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. How is he going to be glorified? Through his death. 
It's through his death that he will be glorified. How and you, do you and I have a glorious Christian walk when we die to ourselves? Isn't that hard? Are you guys awake? Isn't that hard? I mean, almost every day, you know when you have a die-to-self moment. When you want to respond, amen? What is up with that? That ain't fair. Anybody else besides me get like that? You want to, re- you want to what are you talking about? And you want to just lash out and you want to respond. That's the flesh. We need to die to self. You know, God's a better defender than we'll ever be for ourselves anyway, amen? Verse 24, I heard that. Most assuredly, most assuredly, verse 24, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. We're like these grains of wheat, worth nothing unless we are willing to die. The only way to truly see Jesus in the light of his death, burial, and resurrection is to see him in the light of Calvary. The answer for every one of us is that we must come to the foot of the cross. When you die, you live and multiply. Amen? When you die, your life becomes fruitful. When you die to yourself, your will, your wants, your way, your desires, then your life can become fruitful. As long as you're walking around in your flesh and your desires are leading the way, your life is not going to be fruitful. It produces much, not just some, but much grain. It must go into the ground and die. Verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Amen, amen, and amen. If you underline anything in your Bible, you need to underline those two verses. And memorize them. Amen? We need to memorize Scripture. Jesus' final public teaching, and he gives the secret of life. Here's what it is. Die to yourself. What does the world say? I need to find myself. Right? Taking some time off to find myself. I need to pamper myself. You need to assert yourself. You need to esteem yourself. you got a self-esteem issue. We've all got a self-esteem issue. We esteem ourselves way too stinking much. Amen? I have never met a person that thought too little of themselves. You poor thing, you think so little of yourself. I hate myself. I have no self-esteem. I hate myself. If you had no self-esteem, you'd be glad you hated yourself. I don't understand that. Here's the point. It's not esteem self. It's not pamper self. It's not assert self. It's not find yourself. It's die to yourself. Amen? Don't defend yourself. Die to yourself. It's not about you. It's about Him. Amen? Too many churches today say, come and find out who you really are. And you know what? If they were telling the truth, they would say at the door, sinners. Amen? Let me find yourself. Help me help you find yourself. Here's what you are, sinner. Desperate need of a Savior. Amen? That's not real popular. I don't think that's going to sell many books. You sell that one. That's not good. Live, yourself, live for yourself. You're going to miss God. Die to yourself, and you'll find out what life's all about. Amen? If you live for yourself, you're going to miss what life is about. You know, I've had, I don't know if you call it the pleasure or the opportunity to be with people when they die. Numerous times. I've yet to have anybody say, I wish I'd done more for myself. I wish I'd had a bigger house. I wish I'd got that promotion at work. I wish I'd bought that car I always wanted. 
I wish I'd gone on that vacation that I always missed out on. You know what, what is a common theme? It's faith and family. I wish I had been more faithful. I wish I'd done more for the kingdom. And I wish I'd spent more time ministering to my family. Amen? Amen. May we live our lives backwards. May we picture ourselves in, in heaven looking back on our lives and saying, what would I change? What would I do different? Lord, help us to get an eternal perspective. Amen? And we'll quit living for ourselves. What a waste of time. Amen? What a fruitless endeavor. Because the Bible even also tells that our, your flesh will never be satisfied. So if you live for yourself, you're going to live an unsatisfied life, always pursuing more of that which will never satisfy you. Amen? But if you die to yourself, you'll find complete satisfaction in Him. Amen? Sounds so basic, but man, every day don't we struggle with it. And to get up tomorrow and be bummed when someone cuts you off. Who do you think you are? You, that's my sprite. Me, my, and I. Eyes the middle letter of sin. You ever notice that? So, and pride. Try in the middle of both of them. Heart of a servant. Jesus equates death with fruitfulness. To truly serve the Lord, you must follow Him. He leads by example. His second response to men is a heart of sacrifice. Here's our last point. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Wow. Could Jesus have been delivered from that hour if he wanted to? What's the answer? Of course he could. He's Almighty God. Hanging on the cross, being mocked, he could have. They even said to him, if you if you're really go, get down from the cross, he could have done it. You know, you know he's God and he's not like us because he would have turned some people into piles of rocks. Amen? Some guy walks by mocking you, get off the cross. How about a pile of rocks? You could have done that. <laughs> but you know what? He's selfless. He's God and he's selfless. Amen? He's God and his heart was to what? Glorify the Father. He's God and his heart was to glorify the Father. If he does not want to bring glory to himself, but glorify the Father, and he's God worthy of being glorified, how much more should we be pointing people to him? Amen? We're not worthy of any of it. He is. Jesus' soul was troubled. Why? Because he knew he was to be tortured, beaten, afflicted, and ultimately separated from the Father. Sometimes we think because he was God that he somehow, you know, avoided the suffering, turned off the pain nozzle in his body or something. That's not what happened. He knew it was coming and it troubled him. Why? Because he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And going to the cross was not going to be fun. It was not going to be easy. And as much as there was suffering in the cross, I believe the greatest moment of torment for both our Savior and our Father is when they knew separation from each other when the sin of all mankind was being placed upon the Son. Amen? We talked about this on Sunday. And again, never, ever, ever, ever downplay the cross by one millionth of a degree ever. That would be wrong. Amen? But with that being said, I asked on Sunday, think of the Father. Now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's only one God, amen? They're all one God, but they're in three persons. But we always look at the cross from the position of Christ, and we should. But on Sunday I said, you know, God really put in my heart to think about the Father who allowed the Son to suffer and die in new separation from Him when He could have stopped it. 
and I was very transparent with you, and I think you would all agree, if that was my son, people would be in trouble because I wouldn't have it. Amen? I would much rather be me suffering than my son suffering. Amen? And that's the, our heart. He's perfect, holy God. But notice, why did he allow the son to suffer out of his love for you? We could say, which is harder, being the father or being the son? Well, God's both. He knew both. He endured both. Amen? And he did it out of love for you. That's the God we serve. Who are we to question him? Amen? How can we question God about anything? God, what are you thinking? Uh, let's look back to what he's done and then think about why we would ever want to question him. Verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Man, I love that. Baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter saying at Mount of Transfiguration, hey Lord, let's build a tabernacle for you and for Moses and Elijah. And God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. You know what that means? Peter, shut up. Pastor Dave phraseology, right? Peter's talking. He's like, hey, shut up. This is my beloved son. Hear him. You stop talking. Let him. Amen? And now, glorify your name. And a voice comes down from heaven. Man, I love this. Amen? It's Trinity. It'll work. Verse 29, therefore, the people who stood by heard it and said it thundered. Another said, an angel has spoken to him. Isn't it amazing how when God does something, people always want to say it was something else? Amen? God does something incredible and people go, oh, well, that was, you know, that just happened. You know, lightning hit a puddle and scratched a thing and it grew an arm and then it started flying and now it came us, right? From the goo to the zoo to you, right? That thing, right? People would rather try to explain something away and then go, oh, let me think. God had his hand on this, Amen? How can you see the birth of a child and think this was by accident? Amen? How can you look at human anatomy and go, oh, it's just random chance? But people would rather do that than believe the truth. Why? Because if you believe the truth, you must surrender your life. Amen? I'm convinced if people could believe in creation and not have to confess their sin, more people would believe in creation. But they would rather think they came like mo- from monkeys so they can act like monkeys and not be convicted about their behavior. Amen? Why do we try to explain away when God did it? Let's give God the glory, amen? Instead of repenting, people attempt to explain away the voice of Almighty God. The signs, the wonders, the healing of the blind, the lame and the demon-possessed, raising the dead, walking on water, teaching with authority, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, the voice of God the Father confirming Jesus' identity and ministry, and still people refuse to believe. But guys, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord before it's over. Amen? Amen. Verse 30. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Jesus didn't need an audible voice to communicate with the Father. Amen? But he communicated for their sake and the sake of those who surrounded him. Verse 31. Now, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. What is the judgment of this world? The cross of Calvary. Satan thought he had won his greatest victory at the cross when what really happened was he earned his greatest defeat. Amen? He triumphed over sin, death, and Satan. Verse 32. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples 
to myself. The word lifted up speaks of being crucified. Jesus predicts the exact form which he would suffer and also being glorified. It says in Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. The Son of Man would be glorified by being crucified. A few more verses and then we're done. Notice it says at the end of that verse, All peoples, all nations, all peoples, I will draw all peoples unto myself, young, old, rich, poor, every race, every creed. It doesn't matter what background. Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead, draws all people unto himself. Amen? That's why the message we have for everyone is Jesus Christ. It's not Muhammad over here and Confucius over here and Buddha over here and, you know, something else, the New Age movement in Santa Cruz. The answer for everyone, everywhere, is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. He's the only answer. He's the only hope. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but man, I get excited about this stuff, and we ought to, amen? It's okay. Christians ought to get excited, amen? Verse 34. Then look what it says. The people answered and said, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Now, people say often that Jesus never claimed to be God. I want to know what Bible you're reading. Amen? Or who is the Son of Man? Who is He? Man, have you been hanging out for long? Have you been paying attention? And they said Christ remains forever. They're thinking He remains on earth. Aren't you glad we don't don't serve just an earthly God, but a God who's outside of time and space, who's triumphed over sin and death, Then Jesus said to them, a little while, longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. The people still didn't get it. Who's the son of man? They'd witnessed the miracles. They had heard his words. They had heard the voice from heaven. And he warned them to accept the light while they still could. You know what? Today's the day of salvation. Amen? None of us has a promise of tomorrow. It's a divine appointment that we're here tonight. People have said to me before, well, it's Wednesday night. Certainly everyone here is saved. That's not necessarily true. If you're here tonight, you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you know about him. It's time to get to know him. Amen? It's not good enough to know about him. It's not good just to believe in him. You must have a relationship with him. It's Passion Week. Here's my question to you. What's your passion? Is it like Judas? Is your passion money? Is it like the chief priest? Is your passion position? Is it like the crowd? Is your passion political revolt and overthrowing uh, those who have authority over you? Or is your passion like Mary's with a heart to worship? Or is your passion Jesus Christ himself? Who's your passion? You know what? He, you are His passion. Amen? You are His passion. Shouldn't He be yours? Shouldn't He be ours? Amen? So as we come to Passion Week, as we prepare for Good Friday, and it's Friday but Sunday's coming, amen? As we prepare for that, I pray 
that again, we would view this week as a divine opportunity to reach out to our coworkers, to reach out to people that maybe would never go to church any other time. But you know what? You ask them on Resurrection Sunday, and often that's the one time they might come. May we not hide our light under a bushel. May we not be ashamed of our Savior. Amen? Guys, we have so much time. While we're in the light, let's be about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this Passion Week. We thank you, Lord, for the passion you have for us. Why, we don't deserve it. But Lord, I thank you and praise you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't die for us because we're good. You died for us because you're good. Lord, I just pray and ask in Jesus' name that there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know you, that indeed today would be the day of salvation. Your word tells us if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. Lord, we know it's not good works that save us. It's a good God who saves us. Lord, we know it's not our behavior. But Lord, it's that great work of, of the cross of Calvary. And Lord, I pray if anybody's here tonight that, Lord, you just open their eyes and draw them unto yourself. Lord, for those of us who do know you, just fan the flames, Lord. Light a fire in us again. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. We look forward to this weekend and all that we will celebrate. We look forward to those who will come here, will be new, who don't know you. We pray even now that you would soften their hearts, that they might come to the saving knowledge of your Son. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and close the worship song.